Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. How many of you are board game players? Any board game players out there? A few of you? Uh, I grew up in a family that, that plays board games. I grew up in a competitive family that plays board games. I mean, why play if you're not playing to win, right? Um, and, uh, and it occurred to me at, at some point in my life that, that I am kind of a different person when I play board games than I am in my normal life. That there's this other reality that I live in where, uh, where my personality changes a little bit. Um, and, and I become really a different kind of person, which I don't think I'm the only one who experiences board games like this. I feel like maybe that's a shared reality for a lot of us that, that maybe one of the things that we really love about a good, a board game or a card game, uh, I don't play dice games cause dice games are, uh, leaving too much to random chance. So, um, no, I do play dice games too, but just because I want to hang out with the people who are playing them. Uh, I don't care about who wins those games because there's no strategy involved. So anyhow, it, the fun thing about games is it, it brings up like this all new alternative reality where everybody agrees that this game, this board, all of a sudden matters for something, right? The little pieces matter. The outcomes of this game matter. And and in what would otherwise to our normal lives be completely inconsequential and a, and a total waste of time, suddenly the stakes are high and all of this stuff happening around this game is, is really, really important. Everybody who's going to play agrees that, uh, agrees to that. Of course, uh, usually somebody in the group, at least one person agrees to be the expert who actually read the rule book and understands how this game is played and is ready to, to reference things or, or to help everybody else play. Incidentally, that's usually my job. Like, I usually insist on reading the rule book before I play a game just because somebody has to be able to explain how this thing works, especially if there's controversy. Um, so then the game happens, the outcome happens, and then after the game, we all go back to our, our normal life. We all go back to the true reality of our normal lives. But sometimes this thing happens where there's uh, a residual effect from having played this game together on the normal reality that we are trying to return to later. Uh, maybe something happened during this make-believe world in this game that really upset somebody. Anybody ever play a game with somebody who freaked out and then was still mad at you hours later? Anybody played a game with certain members of my family? <laughs> yes. The family I grew up in. <laughs> Not the family that I live in now. They're all way too balanced and emotionally mature to get caught up in things like that. Um, but uh, <laughs> there can be a residual effect. These two worlds impact one another. Uh, I, I can remember uh, when my boys were pretty young, uh, they, they were getting to the age where we got a copy of the game of Risk uh, for like Christmas or somebody's birthday. And Risk is this, this strategy game where you're trying to take over the world and um, it, it does involve dice and chance, but there's enough military strategy to make it interesting. And, 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 then, and then it's a game where you, part of the game is influencing other people. 
And uh, like, like any good narcissist, I love games where I can influence other people. And so I love the game of Risk. And I was so excited to play Risk with my impressionable young boys who were growing up and teach them the ways of, of the world. Um, and, and because of my advanced diplomacy skills and, and uh, my excellence in, in battle strategies, I, I just dominated them. I think we played about three or four times in, in the course of a weekend, and, uh, and I'd conquered the world every time in no time at all. And so, of course, the unintended consequence of that was they didn't want to play Risk with me anymore. We got this game. We played it four times, and nobody wants to play with me anymore. These two worlds that had seemed to be separate were suddenly becoming together. Something that had happened in one reality was now impacting the other reality. And, and I now have people who aren't willing to play the game. Another way that that reality leaks into it is I, I find this when I do play games with, with just my immediate family, my, my kids and my spouse, that, that every now and then I feel like there's an unwritten rule going into any game, and, and that is don't let James win. Whatever it takes to make sure that James doesn't win, uh, we are going to do it, right? There's predetermined teams. It's not even a team game. But there's predetermined teams going into it. Don't let James win, which probably has something to do with that other person I become when I'm playing games and their memory around all of that. So uh, so games create for us uh, these simultaneous realities that are happening, a, a world where certain things matter that wouldn't really matter in the other world, and yet a world where there is crossover and there's experiences that, that these two realities bleed into one another. As, as I consider how our lives are, and particularly how our lives are in relating to the spiritual world, I think, I think this concept we're drawing out of our game world is, is a potentially helpful thing to keep in mind. You know, we live our lives in two simultaneous realities all the time. Realities that at times seem separate and not really having something to do with one another, but realities that leave an impact on, in either space all the time. There's this reality of everything that we see. There's this reality of the, the 80 or so years that we get to, to live and, and walk on this earth. Um, there, there's, there's a book in this reality, a rule book, if you will. I don't know if rule book's the greatest way to describe the Bible, but there's a book that some people attempt to become experts in <laughs> to try to guide other people on the path. And then there's this other reality that's much longer and deeper and greater and, and, and eternal than this 80 or so year experiment that we have. And on any given day, we as human beings are living our lives at the intersection of these two realities. We can't help but live in these two spaces in the same way that we can't help uh, any game that we get, we play is going to happen within the context of our larger life. This game of life that we are all playing is happening in the larger eternal context of, of the spiritual reality. And so every day we're interacting with people who are at, at various different ages and backgrounds and, and play various different roles in society. We're living with people that have various income levels who maybe have various allegiances to different people groups or, or different countries. We're around people who are contributing or taking from society and all these different varieties of ways. And all of that is true. 
But if we think about the game of life in the context of a larger reality, the spiritual reality that is behind everything that is going to go on forever, there is something that is even more true of every person than just which category they would fall into along the spectrum that I just laid out for us. What is most true about every single person, who they are in the, in the deepest, greatest reality of, of, of all creation, what is most true is that God has chosen them from the foundation of the world to send his son to die for them, that they are someone who God loves, that they're someone who was made in the image of God. They're someone who was placed here in this world to proclaim the good news of who God is as a self-giving, self-sacrificing, all-loving creator who's been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Well, that's the thing that's most true about everyone, the deepest reality of all things. There's these other realities that they live the context of their life in, right? I mean, we're, we're li- our lives today are submitted to a world that is a mixed bag. There's goodness, there's evil. There's amazing, incredible people, and there's wicked people. There's amazing, incredible people with wicked behaviors and selfishness in them, and there's wicked and terrible people with good aspects about them. Life is a mixed bag. We live in a place where there's health and there's sickness, where there's fear and there's faith, where there's love and there's hate. We live in a reality where there is temptation for all kinds of of selfish behaviors and ways to take care of ourselves first. And that reality at times seems to be competing with the other deeper, more pure reality that's there. Talk about these realities competing with one another. I I don't know what it is, but but when when I'm playing a, a board game, Everything inside of me wants to win, wants to manipulate the people around me, wants to manipulate whatever's happening on the board so that I can win. And outside of a board game, especially, you know, I think of like my family's experience and maybe why they're all teaming up against me is because that's the reality of who I am when I'm playing a board game. That reality feels like it's competing with, when I'm immersed in a board game, it's competing with the me who is, you know, an otherwise selfless, loving, caring father and husband. I'm a decent guy. So long as we're not playing. You know, I got this game uh, for Christmas last Christmas for my older brother. It's called Plunder a Pirate's Life. And so imagine, if you will, like James Dieter, the pirate captain, you know, so willing to send his loved ones to the bottom of the sea. And that's not who I am, right? I mean... You all are thinking, yeah, his kids are so lucky. He's such a great dad. His wife's so lucky. He's such a great husband. But, but in the middle of that, and I've never won the game, by the way. It, I always find myself at the bottom of the ocean my, myself. I, I, maybe I wouldn't be a great pirate captain. But, but that reality and who I, who I strive to be in that reality is in competition with who I want to be in the larger reality. And I think so it is so often in the life that we live here in the flesh, in the body, and compared to the life that we, we are also living simultaneously, this eternal life, this spiritual world. Paul writes about this conflict in his letter to the Galatians. He, he writes about it in other places too, but 
um, he writes about in Galatians. And, and before we turn to reading it, uh, let's just pray. Father, we just want to acknowledge that you are here. And that we are living these days of our, of our own lives, however long they may be, we are living them within the context of a much larger, much broader, much more true reality. One that goes on forever. Holy Spirit, give us grace to, uh, to read your word, to comprehend what you're speaking to us today. And, um, and, and just grant us the humility to be changed by your words of truth. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm reading out of the book of Galatians. I think it's chapter 3, but I didn't have it written down here, and it's copied and pasted into my notes. So I do know it starts at verse 16. I just don't know. I think it's Galatians 3. Anyhow, Paul writes, and he says, I, I, So I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul outlines it here in other places in the New Testament, this paradigm of the Spirit and the flesh, the temporal world and the, and the spiritual world. And I've become really, really careful in how I talk about these things because we don't want to to separate them from one another entirely because they are not separated within us. Try, try uh, following Jesus in spirit only, right? Or try rebelling in flesh only. Like you maybe at times feel that pulling and tugging in different directions within you. Um, these are two real realities that we, these are two very real contexts that we are living our lives in at the same time. And although in some ways they are separate from one another, and we see that they can be in, in uh, conflict with one another, the, these are also very much one, one thing happening at the same time. Um, I think one of the challenges for us is how do we live our lives in a broken and fallen world, how do we live our lives in the, in the flesh of our, our human body with its own appetites and desires and, and, and innate selfishness in it? How do we live all of that while still holding fast to the greater, the deeper, the grander things of the eternal kingdom of God? How do we not totally lose ourselves into this gamer mindset where we become intolerable and terrible people in the context of this game Losing perspective of the eternal world that we are participating in each and every day. Now, one of the things that Scripture lays out for us is certain spiritual disciplines that help us to embrace the bigger picture. Help us to help, help to maybe draw us out of this momentary gamer mindset and into the kingdom mindset that God has and the perspective that He has when He's looking at humanity and everything that's happening. I remember having this conversation some years ago with uh, a Christian brother who was really challenging me. Uh, this is someone that going into the conversation, I felt um, superior to in each and every way as a Christian. I felt like uh, my uh, background in Christianity was a better, uh, a superior heritage and background than his, that 
my adherence to the teachings of Christ was superior and better than his, that I really had this Christian thing down, and he was at best stumbling along following Jesus. And we have this conversation, and I was so challenged by it because he brought up Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 6, which is a famous section of Scripture, one of of Jesus' most comprehensively recorded sermons uh, by Matthew. And, And he gets to this point in the sermon where Jesus is talking to uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish people who are there, and he says to them, when you give, I want you to give like this. When you pray, I want you to pray like this. And when you fast, I want you to fast like this. And the point that this fellow believer of mine was making to me in the conversation was, uh, was isn't it interesting that Jesus assumes that all of his followers are going to be doing these three things. They're going to be giving, they're going to be generous people, they're going to be praying, and they're going to be fasting. And this guy came from a tradition that was very dedicated to those things in a religious kind of a way, and the tradition that I was from tended to be hypercritical of people who were dedicated to those things in a religious kind of way. And he was just simply saying in the argument, as people usually do in in religious arguments, look, Jesus is on my side. And, uh, and I wanted to argue with him and say, no, he's not. No, he's not. But, uh, but I think he probably was in one sense. I, found, I came away from the conversation really, really challenged that with all of my smug superiority, I fell into the camp of Christians who, uh, if you invite me to pray, I'm definitely too busy. If you invite me to fast, that sounds terrible and I'm not even sure what you're talking about. <laughs> And if you want me to give, I'm pretty sure I don't have enough to give because, uh, because my Christian culture is, is largely about uh, making sure that I'm comfortable and well-insulated from all of my troubles. And that's expensive, incidentally. It is really expensive to be comfort and insulated for, comfortable and insulated from all your troubles. So you rarely have enough to give if that's what your number one priority is in life. The language of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount assumes that these are all things that we are going to do. And I think in the same way, these are things that really help us get outside of the temporal gamer mindset and be mindful of the much larger context of the world that we're living in. It would be a real shame to enter into a board game and destroy all of your larger relationships because of the way that you behaved in it. In the same way, it is a shame to walk through this life destroying relationships, destroying the goodness that God has called you to walk in and spread in the world around you, destroying all that because you've somehow lost sight of there's more to what's going on than this temporal existence. We're going to talk about fasting today. We, we're, we're getting into a a little project we're going to do here as a church together. We're calling it 40 Days for Fullness. It's starting next Sunday is our intro day, and then day one is going to be next Monday, the 16th. Um, and, and we're just encouraging you. We'll, we've got a daily devotional that is going to be in print form and audio form and digital form. We've removed all the hurdles. You can make sure you do it one way or another. Um, and, and we've got a link that went out in our newsletter this week where, this week where you can sign up for which version of that you would like to, or versions of that you would like to to be a part of. Um, we've got some weekly small groups, discussion groups 
that we're setting the table and, and giving you opportunities to, to not just be connecting with God on a, on a daily basis, but connecting with your community, talking about it, sharing it with one another. Uh, there's something about the way that God created us as human beings that we're designed to walk through life together. And, and one of the reasons that we do church, the way that we do it coming together is because we're just trying to lean into that reality a little bit more. Um, and then our Sunday morning times will kind of be dedicated to this whole experience as well. But I thought it would be good going into this to just talk a little bit about fasting. Because as we've been preparing for this time, one of the most common things that happened in Scripture for 40 days was people would be fasting for 40 days. Uh, and so what is it? What is this all about? You know, fasting is is uh, you know the, the the biblical definition or the agreed definition for fasting is this idea of of giving up eating for a period of time in order to intentionally dedicate the time and the resources that you would typically put toward filling your belly belly filling your belly jeez Louise I'm tongue tied today uh, you would put that into connecting with God it's a simple definition. Fasting can be giving up all foods, so you don't eat anything for a period of time. Uh, some would feel that it's still fasting if you're just giving up certain foods, so you're modifying your diet for a certain amount of time. Some feel that fasting means not eating anything for a period of time every day. Uh, so, for example, not eating until after sundown or, or only eating between the hours of 12 p.m. and 6 p.m. And then some people's approach to fasting is that it really doesn't count unless you don't eat anything at all for a 24-hour period. Uh, I did a, a little bit of, of Bible, distance at Bible school from a, uh, an institute down in Florida, and that was our lesson on fasting, was like essentially you spent a week talking about if you were doing anything but drinking water and praying for that week for 24-hour periods, it didn't count. That was my big takeaway. What a great spend. What a great, uh, that's time well spent, right? A week to figure that out. Um, the whole idea is, the hope in fasting is that through denying yourself this thing that we, we don't only need to survive, but this thing that can bring a, a lot of comfort and a, and a lot of pleasure in our lives, by denying ourselves that appetite for food, these urges that the flesh needs, by denying all of that, we'll be able to create space in our lives to really embrace the Spirit's uh, the, the appetites of our spirit a little more fully. Do you ever read stuff in Scripture and think to yourself, man, I wish that's how I felt? Or sing a song in worship and feel like a bit of a hypocrite singing those words because you're like, you know, the, the old, there's a famous old hymn, I Surrender All, you know, and we would all sing, I Surrender All, and everyone's like, we're all lying through our teeth to each other right now. That's not at all what I'm doing. I will surrender the minimum amount required. What's the minimum amount required? We'll argue about that for a while. Anyhow, um, Psalm 63 is a psalm that has been in my mind since I was a teenager. I would read this and I would think, man, I wish I was like that. I wish I was like that. The psalmist writes, you, God, are my God, and earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. And my lips will glorify you. And I'll praise you as long as I live. And you, in your name, 
I will lift up my hands. And I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. Not with the richest of foods, but like the richest, as if I had the richest of foods. I will be fully satisfied with singing lips. My mouth will praise you. What, what would it be like for you to have those kinds of experiences with the living God where you feel fully satisfied, like your stomach feels after a really good meal? You didn't eat too much. You didn't eat too little. You're sitting there and you are just, ah, this is, this is as good as it gets. What would it be like for your entire being to feel that way? You imagine what kind of, of a, a comprehensive meal would you have to sit down and eat to come away with that kind of feeling where everything in the world is okay i think that's the ideal that maybe we're striving for in the holiday season right like i just want to sit down at a table with the right foods and the right people that when we finish the meal everyone just feels like ah oh, even if it's just for a moment everything in life is okay The psalmist says, this is who God is to me. The only source that I can imagine that would provide that kind of thing. And my entire being is a longing for this God. I'm not distracted by the other appetites. I'm not distracted by the lesser things. Everything is craving this kind of connection with God. Fasting is a discipline that's designed to help us to lean into the truth of scriptures like this. You know, it's one thing to say these words or, or to read them. It's another thing to say, I really believe that's true in my head. I, I would build my life on that. I'll try to make my decisions going towards that. It's another thing if you've experienced that, if you've tasted of God in that way. Maybe some of you have had those kinds of moments with God where you have a moment where you feel God's presence and, and it's fleeting, and it maybe just lasts for a moment, but you knew in that moment with a sense of clarity that you can't even describe to other people. You knew there is nothing better in the entire universe than this being that I feel close to right now. You've experienced that. And if you haven't experienced that, my prayer is that you would experience that. Maybe in this next season of life, God's presence would peek through in your life in such a way that you, you would feel it. The kind of satisfaction that only comes from those kinds of things. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that is meant to help us grow into that. It's one thing to say, God, I believe my soul longs for you, like everything. It's another thing to actually set food aside or to begin to deny yourself of certain things in order to pursue that and experience that truth. In Scripture, fasting is oftentimes paired with uh, repentance. You know, in the game of life, people are confronted with their sin. They're confronted with their decisions or things that they're doing that are out of selfishness. And, and when they're confronted with that and they respond to it, they would at times fast and repent. There's a story of a prophet named Jonah who goes to the city of Nineveh and he confronts the Ninevites and he says, You guys are so evil. And so brutal and so terrible. In 40 days, God is going to bring punishment on the city. Disaster on your city. Because of these evil lives that you're living in. And if you do any, read any history of the Assyrian Empire, they were brutal. The city gets this message from Jonah. 
and everybody repents. Everybody fasts. The king is like, don't even let the animals eat. The cows in the fields and the pets in your houses, don't let anybody eat. We are all fasting and praying and asking God to be merciful to us because we just have realized how terrible we've been. Fasting is is oftentimes tied to this idea of I've been living my life a certain way in a certain because of because I've been overcome by this one gamer mindset context of of this limited life that we have my limited perspective and what I'm wanting to do now through fasting is embracing the deeper more true reality of the world and I want to walk a different way. You know each each of us has within ourselves, these appetites for, for selfishness or, or wickedness, you know, the, the, that, that selfish competitive gene that I have that is somehow mysteriously okay with my own satisfaction resulting in the suffering of someone else. We, it's maybe easy to identify these kinds of things, certainly more easy to identify them in other people, right? Like the way other people drive on I-5 or the way other people spend their money or the way other people do things, right? But we can all often be carried away with the worries and cares of this life and choking out our own spiritual fruitfulness and all of that when we get lost in that mindset. And when you fast, you're intentionally disrupting the flow of this temporal reality with an intentional focus on the deeper, more true one. When you fast, you're actively turning your attention away from those fleshly appetites to pursue the true food and the true drink that God offers. How to start this practice, we'll finish with a couple of easy steps. First, the disclaimer. You should consult your healthcare professional before making any major changes to your diet. (laughs) Number one, step number one to fasting. Schedule an appointment with your care provider. Step number two. It was step number one, but it just became step number two. Step number two, be led, be led by the Spirit. I think one of the reasons that, that oftentimes, especially in this day and age, spiritual disciplines fall out of fashion is not because modern humanity is just inherently more lazy and selfish than ancient humanity was, but I think it's because it can lead us into this empty religious striving quite easily. And so we have in our minds this conviction that this whole thing with God is meant to be about relationship. It's meant to be about a connection with God. And, and, and we somehow can, we can smell when someone's just trying to lead us into empty religious works. And we're like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be worried that God doesn't love me because I haven't been fasting enough. So I'm just not going to worry about that whole fasting thing, even though it's in Scripture. This is all about relationship. This is all about connection with God. And, and a connection with God isn't always all about your own comfort. It's not always all about you feeling great about what you ate today. You know, the deepest relationships that I have, maybe you've experienced this too, the deepest relationships that you have are relationships that have been forged not just in the good times together, but in some suffering together, in some discomfort, in overcoming some kinds of challenges together. If you want to feel close to somebody, enter with them into whatever pain they're experiencing or endure something together, suffer 
with one another through something. It changes you and it draws you together. These spiritual disciplines are meant to be intentionally somewhat uncomfortable because it has a, 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 a drawing effect on us when we are willing to walk into uncomfortable places with God. So be led by the Spirit into a place with God. If you feel a nudge in your heart as we're talking about this, or if over the next 40 days while you're pursuing this 40 days for fullness, if somewhere in there you sense the Spirit is inviting you to engage in this discipline, to experiment with it a little bit, I just want to encourage you, go for it. If you're not feeling a nudge from somewhere other than the religious guilt coming from the stage or something like that, then don't, don't bother with it. This probably just isn't the right season. You want to be led by the Spirit into these things. Uh, the other thing I would encourage you to start small. Start small. Give up one meal for a time of prayer. Give up two meals or, or just take a single day to dedicate the time you were going to eat to reading some Scripture and, and praying. And, 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 and as you do that, let, let the hunger pangs, the feelings of discomfort that develop inside of us when we don't eat, Allow that to remind you how much your soul longs for God, even if you're not in touch with it. How much your soul is longing for God, that his love, it's better than life. You know, you give up one certain, sorry, give up food for a day. If you want to, just give up a certain food for a period of time. And let the cravings for that favorite food, you know, I don't know, you know, some people will give up meat for Lent. Some people will give up sugar for something, you know, find like a food that you really enjoy, give it up and it's something that you know you're going to crave and then allow the cravings to remind you that your soul longs for God alone. That it's in him that you'll only find true, full satisfaction and not in the pleasurable foods that God gives us. God has filled our world with good, wonderful things. He's filled our world with with good foods and things like that. And all of those pleasures, all of those good things, they're meant to be object lessons that point you to how great God is. They're not meant to be an end in themselves. And sometimes through the discipline of fasting, you can, you can experience that reality. These things are not an end unto themselves. They're all meant to point me to the goodness of God. And so I would encourage you to do that. Um, the, the last rule is, uh, <laughs> I wrote down, stay hydrated. But it's the don't don't allow yourself to fall into legalism over this. Uh, you know, you read in Scripture like, oh, he didn't eat or drink anything for 40 days. And you're like, that seems biologically impossible. And so what we're seeing there is, is either some kind of divine intervention, like a miracle happened that they didn't die when they didn't drink anything for 40 days. Uh, I think another thing that we are seeing there is that, uh, uh, you know, the context in which scripture happened and it recorded people fasting was like a world where people normally went without. People weren't eating diets that were full of preservatives and sugar and candy. People were having a hard time finding enough food. I mean, it was normal to go without food for a day just because there wasn't anything to eat. Or it was normal to be thirsty because water wasn't, they didn't live in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, you know, I've, I've read papers about fasting over the years that, that will talk about how, uh, how different on a physiological level fasting is now if you're just to go cold turkey than it, it was then. Almost like you get as much spiritual credibility 
for doing an all-juice fast as you would for not drinking or anything for 40 days back in the day. None of that is meant to be gospel, but at least gives you a little perspective of like, okay, maybe the point in fasting is not, am I doing it right? If you are in any way entering that idea of I am denying myself, I'm giving something up that my body craves in order to pursue something that I know in the deeper reality my soul is craving. If you're doing that, you're doing it right. So stay hydrated. (laughs) Please drink water every day. Um, You know, I imagine in all of this, like God knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the modern context in which you live your life. And he has a way to lead you in these exercises and experimenting with this discipline in a way that's going to be fruitful for you. And so, um, so yeah, again, don't get too legalistic about it. Um, and, and, and just find a way, hopefully over these next 40 days, to, um, to practice denying yourself of something in order to pursue that relationship with God. I, I really think, and you, and you hear it all the time, we'll talk about prayer, we'll talk about fasting, we'll talk about giving, uh, we'll talk about serving, things like that. And the most common thing you hear is, I don't have enough of whatever resource you're wanting me to give up so that I can do that thing that you're trying to tell me would be worth worth it for me to do. And, um, and, and this is kind of nice because the entire idea of fasting has built into it of the idea of I'm going to create space. The discipline isn't like add this to the three meals you're already eating. The discipline is you don't have time to pray. Well, give up a meal and pray. And so, uh, yeah, start small, hydrate, consult your doctor, <laughs> experiment with this. I really think this is a great opportunity uh, for, for all of us to, to be lifted into uh, just a deeper connection with the grander realities of our world. And so uh, starting next week is our first week of 40 Days for Fullness. It, the theme for that week is going to be hunger and thirst for God. Uh, I think sometime during that week might be a really great time uh, for a bunch of us to experiment with this idea of fasting together. Um, I, you know, I talked about suffering together promotes that whole idea of intimacy and connection with one another. Like, I, I guarantee you, uh, if we're going through that first week of the fullness, 40 days for fullness together, and, and a bunch of us are fasting together, like, you're going to just start to feel more naturally connected uh, to one another. It, it's kind of a cool thing about how God works and human psychology and all of that. Anyhow, uh, this has all gone on quite a bit longer than I thought it would. So let's have the worship team come back up. And we'll turn to the Lord's table uh, to close our service. Man, I had really good discussion questions for today, too. Uh, you can scan the QR code, and, uh, and there's discussion questions on there. And after we do communion and sing together, if you want to grab some people and talk about that stuff, uh, you're welcome to hang out and do that. Uh, maybe a, a great investment of your time. Uh, let's pray. Lord, uh, we're just grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you have given us a beautiful space to live this life within a life. Um, God, I am so grateful for this world and, and I am grateful for every day that I've gotten to live and every day that you're going to give me to live in this place. Um, we just acknowledge, though, that behind all of this, there is something much grander and greater that we are already living in. Every day that we live today in this life is, is a day that we're equally living right now 
in that eternal life that you have invited us into through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And so uh, today we just want to enter that reality a little bit more. Each week we, we usually finish here at the Lord's table and we, we have a table that's been set with bread that represents Christ's body that's broken for us and, and a cup that represents his blood that was poured out for us. And uh, I'd made a mention to true spiritual food, true spiritual drink, and, and, and Jesus referred to his, his body and his blood as those things. That sure, as human beings, we have to eat every day food that sustains us till the next day. But human beings are at once uh, a creature that's having to find nourishment and live day to day here in this world. But we are at the same time, and maybe in an even a greater way, we are eternal beings. And Jesus said, in the same way that that bread sustains your natural body and the cup sustains your natural body, he says, my sacrifice is the thing that sustains, that sustains us eternally. And so uh, through the, the ritual of communion, we every week are invited to the Lord's table to eat true spiritual food that we believe gives life to our spiritual self, the truest self that's in there. And so uh, today as we come, uh, as we worship and as we come to the table, I just want to invite you to, uh, through the act of eating, embrace that there is, is a deeper you that's not defined by what you do for a career or which family you were born into or the people that you surround yourself with. This deeper you is defined by the God who offered up his life and said, you are worth more than anything to me. And I love you and I have a plan for your life. And, uh, and I created you because I, I couldn't wait to spend eternity knowing one another and enjoying one another. And so, Lord, would your Holy Spirit just help lift each of us up to that experience as we come to the table to eat. Uh, our souls need to be nourished with the true food that only you can offer. So uh, thank you for setting this table. Uh, thank you for the community that we get to do this with. And uh, just allow this time to nourish our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.